Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics they talk? We listen. My guest today is a rarity and will definitely provide great insights into the current series of Heads Talk. He's the son and grandson of hoteliers and the third generation of his family to manage this hotel chain. So he was definitely born into this profession, hotel management, and he will have a few stories to tell. This is the continuation of the series on the effects of the pandemic on the leisure, travel and tourism industry. So it's about hotel management today. But before we get into that, here's a message from our sponsors. This episode is sponsored by Bird Capital. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle Schwitter. Michelle Chan is the president of Shin Hotels, the CEO of the Splendid Hotels and Spa, as well as the CEO of the Guno Hotel in Nice. He has spent a number of years as the head of the Federation of Hospitality, Catering and Tourism for Nice, France. And despite his many travels and adventures across the globe, this is the place he has chosen to spend his working life, a place that is not so far from where he grew up. Despite studying law, Michel went to the prestigious Cornell School of Hotel Management to perfect his skills in this area and to continue from where his father left off. Michel was ahead of his time with what we know today as the sustainability drive. He introduced ecological options within his hotels, for example, solar panels to heat the pool within the splendid hotel and spa over 20 years ago. He believes that ecology partners quite nicely with savings Let's hear what Michelle has to say about the pandemic and the current climate. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Michelle to Heads Talk. Delighted to have you here today. Hello, bonjour. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much, Michelle. Um, we will get into some of your stories around hotel management, and we will definitely talk about the, the state of play as a result of the pandemic. But before we do that, let's start with an introduction and an overview from you. Um, give my listeners a summary of the Shin Hotels, the Splendid Hotels and Spa. Is it part of a group of hotels or a resort? How many employees, the location, guest capacity, etc., etc.? Just give us a flavour of what this is all about. Yeah, as you mentioned, there are two properties, the Splendid Hotel and Spa, which is 128 rooms with about 55 employees, and the Guno, which is a small boutique hotel with about six, seven employees and only 43 rooms. So it's a small chain. And for marketing purposes, the Splendid is associated with uh, Warwick Hotel and Resorts, right. which, as you all know, as hotels uh, worldwide. Okay. Okay, that's good. So that gives us a, a, my, my um, listeners an idea of the, the hotels that you manage. Now let's talk specifically about COVID. Tell us the story of when the pandemic hit and the things you had to do as a result, the effect it has had on your business and some of the more uncomfortable decisions that had to be made. Well, obviously, uh, this pandemic was a surprise for all of us, uh, not a very pleasant one. Fortunately, uh, no one was uh, hurt or infected, nor in our staff, nor in our guests, as far as you know, because as uh, maybe you know, in France, I'm not allowed to ask our employees if they have a disease or if they were contaminated, mm -hmm. but no one mentioned it. So that's the good point. Obviously, the uh, closure in France came in uh, March, mm 
-hmm. And already end of February, I'm talking of 2020, end of February, we already had the last weekend of Carnival, which was canceled. Uh, as you know, Carnival is one of the big events during the winter season in Nice. So that started to not smell uh, very pleasantly, but the pandemic was there and uh, our authorities had to react to it. Uh, we tried to remain open, but of course, all reservations were canceled and we had to close uh, on the 16th of March. We could reopen during the summer season and we reopen early July 20 up till November 8th, 20. Uh, July and August went fairly well, mostly with uh, French uh, clients. Mm -hmm. September and, oct and October went dwindling, and finally we had to close on November 8th, as I mentioned. Mm -hmm. The Guno, which is a smaller property, opened only in August and closed in, in end of September. Um, the good point of having two different hotels is that you can uh, put the clients of one into the other if there is a problem. And for the Guno, it's easy because the Guno is three stars and we were upgrading them to four stars. So we had no complaints on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it enabled us to be a little bit more flexible and reactive. As you also know, the uh, France was fairly generous in terms of aid. And uh, yes. most of the staff who were not employed were paid by the government for 84% of their salaries. So that made mm -hmm. things a little bit easier, um, but still what's we kept, uh, sorry. What was the, what's the French term for that? I know the English term is furlough. What was the French term for that? Uh, it's, uh, originally it was called a chômage technique, which is a technical uh, unemployment. And then mm -hmm. it was changed because that doesn't sound very nice. It's, it was changed to activité partielle, which means partial activity. In other words, they once uh, someone, uh, one of my staff is on this activity partiel, I can ask him to come back or he can just stay at home and be paid to, to stay at home. So it's not pleasant for the staff, but it's not as bad as being without a salary and without any uh, resources. Of course, for the waiters, for receptionists, for the bellboys, they're losing all the, all the tips, but mm. I mean, that's uh, part of life also. Uh, we we opened uh, in July uh, this year, so we stayed closed for almost six months. But as I mentioned, we kept a number of staff in, well, management first, of course. Our administrative and financial director was working from home, mm -hmm. and we also kept four people in maintenance uh, because we used, of course, that time to do a number of maintenance works. We didn't have a lot of budget for that, but we managed to do a little bit of work. We are creating a new room. We did some major maintenance that is not seen by the client, uh, such as cleaning the gutters or mm -hmm. changing some pipes, etc. But we felt that even though we could have put these four people on furlough, as you call it, or as yes. uh, on activity partial, as we say, it was important to keep them around and take the opportunity to do again uh, some works, not extraordinary major works, but a lot of painting, a lot of plumbing, and these sort of things. Well, so so it did it did give you a, a chance, an opportunity to do some maintenance work. You, you seize on that opportunity, whereas you probably would have had to put that behind or at the back, but. The pandemic has allowed that. That's given you the time and the opportunity to do that, I suppose. 
Yeah, it's one of the few benefits from uh, that pandemic, mm -hmm. uh, because of course it's uh, some renovations work are difficult to yes. do when the hotel is open because clients complain of noise and other things. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. So uh, a year on from the pandemic, um, so where are you now with the the Shin Hotel and the restrictions of the pandemic? What new and lasting measures have been put in place to protect employees as well as guests? Well, that was quite an investment, uh, roughly about 10,000 euros in terms of uh, plexiglass screens at receptions and in the bar, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of masks, in terms of gloves. Uh, masks, especially in the beginning, were very difficult to get our hands on because there was a scarcity of masks, masks all over the world. It's not the case anymore. Mm -hmm. But basically, especially in maintenance, when they do sometimes heavy work, they use three, four masks a day, and that ends up to be quite mm -hmm. a lot of money. Uh, but the main investment, again, was the plexiglass um, yeah, yeah. walls or partitions, sorry. Um, and of course, on my hydroil colleague gel, etc. So it was indeed expensive, uh, but there was no choice, both for our guests, but also for our staff. We didn't want our staff to be contami contaminated. Yeah. And actually, end of January 2020, we had a little bit of a worry because one of our we had a group from China, and of course, our staff and ourselves were a little bit uh, hazardous about whether we should take that group. Fortunately, uh, we did have them, and they didn't. There was no contamination or whatever, uh, but we we were indeed a little bit worried about that. Uh, that was back in January 20. Uh, today there are no more Chinese tourists in Europe, so we don't have this uh, question to think about. Okay, okay. Um, as a side question, um, what are you doing marketing-wise to ensure that this summer is considerably better than last year? I mean, how have you changed your marketing strategy? It's very complicated. Um, as you know, the Côte d'Azur is the essence of the Côte d'Azur is a very international place. We were a global village before McLuhan thought of it. Mm -hmm. um, I won't go back into the whole history, but basically we were created by the British. Uh, then we had a lot of Russians and we had a lot of Americans. So if you take in normal years, the main market of the Côte d'Azur is Britain. Uh, France is a secondary market for us. So it was a real change because for once we had to take care of the French, which we were not, we were not used to. Um, they're very nice people, by the way, but uh, we were uh, so used to having an international crowd, it was a little bit of a change. Um, so at the same time, the traditional uh, means of communication through tour operators, travel agencies, the travel agencies worldwide had an even more difficult time than we had. Mm -hmm. So these traditional channels have disappeared. What we try to do uh, is to keep communication through social networks mostly. Um, there was nothing much we could say, except uh, that of course the scenery was still there, the museum was still there, the food was still there, and we were trying to put some enticing pictures and the good part and the reassuring part is that each time we were putting that, we would we would get a couple of comments saying, oh, it's so nice, I wish I could be there, etc. So that is the way we kept communicating because basically we had nothing to talk about. Uh, we didn't know when we were allowed to open. We didn't know who was allowed to come into France. And as you see, it's changing every day. Um, so it's a little bit challenging times. And of course, also, I was talking about the international markets, but anything which is uh, business tourism, such as seminars and incentives, 
uh, obviously disappeared very, very quickly and probably won't come back until September this year. So it's been challenging in that time. And we had to sort of uh, forget in bracket. I mean, we didn't really forget them, but uh, not be as proactive as we used to be towards uh, travel agencies, towards uh, networks in America, such as Signature or Virtuoso, etc. Mm -hmm. Because basically, even if they wanted to come, even if they had the money to come, they just were not allowed to come yeah. Into, yeah. into Europe and France. Okay. Okay, um, let's look a little closely um, at your customers, patrons um, and visitors. You've already talked about um, your investments with the, the glass partitions, you know, the face masks, hand sanitizers, yeah. mm -hmm. sanit sanit etc. What else are potential guests asking you about that was not even considered before and is as a result of the pandemic? How have their general behavior and priorities changed with what they are requesting from you? Well, the general behavior has not really changed. What we get mostly are questions about what can we do? Can we come? Are the restaurants open? Are the bars open? Um, and to be very honest with you, we have a lot of difficulties answering these questions because sometimes we don't know ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, what I did is put together a page on our website uh, with the latest sanitary precautions, both within the hotels explaining that uh, uh, a month ago, for example, we couldn't serve a buffet breakfast. We could only serve breakfast in the room. It's not the case anymore. Explaining what regulations were on in the city, the curfews, etc., mm -hmm. so that it would be as palatable and as uh, reader-friendly as possible. So each time we had questions like that, we were directing our clients to that page so that they would have an idea of what was going on and also telling them to come back regularly. Mm -hmm because it is updated roughly at least every week, sometimes two or three times a week, uh, because regulations change completely. Um, I don't know if you're in Britain or where you are, but as you know from since yesterday, uh, anyone coming from the UK has to stay in quarantine for 10 days when they arrive in France, and that is new. We didn't think about it, so obviously that wipes out uh, a good part of the uh, British market, which again was important yeah. for us. Uh, I hope this will change and the situation will improve both in the UK and in France. But um, we are always confronted to these sort of things, and uh, we have to be very careful about what the regulations are. And to be honest, uh, sometimes we don't even know what are the regulations, because yeah. in France it's changing every two yeah. seconds, and I'm not 100% sure that I know what is the latest uh, regulation that yes. came out. Yes, uh, uh, sticking with that, uh, and looking at sort of adapting to meet government and social requirements with regards to the management of the, of the pandemic, um, what sustainability initiatives have you introduced? Other than what was mentioned in the introduction, perhaps um, you were already planning to do this regardless. Could you enlighten us to that? Well, we're trying to be a little bit more um, digitalized, so to speak. And when I say digitalized, I'm, coming, I'm talking about back office rather than digitalizing the clients. I'm not sure that clients are looking to be totally digitalized. Uh, we had a few people asking if they could do a, a mobile check-in and these sort of things. Not many. Uh, I still think that when you come to an hotel or an airline, it's nice to talk to someone and to have someone in front of you who hopefully smiles. Uh, <laughs> but we did some uh, digitalization of our processes internal in terms of human resources. 
uh, we're looking at uh, a better connectivity with the PMS and the uh, booking engines. Mm -hmm. uh, we're looking at a number of things like that, of course, mm -hmm. to, to save money because uh, labor is very expensive in France. It's our main um, cost. Mm -hmm. uh, but also to give a better service in terms of CRM, in terms of remembering with the clients. And uh, again, I believe that uh, more than ever, the clients are looking, I won't say experience, because it's a uh, notion that is used for everything. If you go to buy a toilet paper, it's an experience in toilet paper, so you shouldn't abuse these sort of terms. Mm -hmm. But to really feel that the client is coming to a place where they are human beings, uh, I spend personally a lot of time answering emails um, with a lot of questions, which are sometimes, mm -hmm. uh, don't mention it, but a little bit stupid. But uh, I think it's part of the relation we any service industry has to have with its clients. You cannot be totally digitalized. And of course, there are always little difficulty. You've got that client mm -hmm. who prefer mm -hmm. this room rather than that room, mm -hmm. uh, who wants a type of pillow, who wants this and who wants that. So if we try to be in a luxury segment you have to have a minimum amount of people uh, who are capable of talking not only several languages but who are capable of talking to a client about uh, what he is interested in um, you know sales and customer relation is a matter of seduction mm -hmm. um, we have an old song in France, which was called uh, Parlez-moi de ma, moi, y'a que ça qui m'intéresse. Talk to me about me. That's the only thing I'm interested in. <laughs> and that is very true. Uh, <laughs> the clients like to talk, like to mention what they do, and they like it if you take interest in them. Um, if you are a little bit more personal, if you tell them you have three cats and uh, two mistresses and this sort of thing, that's really surprisingly is interesting for them. Okay, right. Um, let's continue. Continue with this sustainability. Um, provide, please provide some real-world examples and how has it changed the way you do business briefly? And interestingly, um, how has it hindered development plans, if at all? And perhaps your thoughts on this: How does an organisation, hoteliers, avoid you know the tick box approach and, and really live this, especially if it impacts profitability? You know, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, you talked about, and I quote, ecology means savings. But for some, is that really the case? Well, it is. Um, it is. If you change uh, normal bulbs with uh, lead bulbs, well, you save quite a lot of money in terms of electricity consumption. Um, we um, discarded all the individual little bottles for shampoo, body lotion, etc. That's also... It's good for the environment, but it's also a huge saving because then if you go in an hotel and spend one night, you need uh, 50 grams of soap. Uh, no, you're going to, I assume, wash yourself, but you don't need 50, 50 grams for that. And this mm -hmm. is going to be uh, thrown away. Um, same thing for the buffet breakfast. We don't put individual packages. So we sustainability is not something that costs money. It's very often something that saves money. Um, we changed, uh, but that was last year before the pandemic, we changed the uh, boilers to have a more efficient one. So it's always a constant race for that. Um, electricity in France is probably uh, one of the cheapest one in Europe, but that doesn't mean you should waste it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a constant uh, challenge in that term. 
uh, we still have sometimes clients who are not happy about it. Uh, I was telling you about the small bottles of shampoo. We had complaints of people who say, well, I liked it to take away the little bottle of shampoo. It was a souvenir and this sort of thing. So you cannot do everything, yes. but you can do a number of things uh, in terms of uh, uh, what you do and what you promote. But mm -hmm. we also did a little, two little things regarding transportation, which are important. One is that we decided that we would give a free parking space to any electrical vehicles. And mm -hmm. we put in the garage uh, some charging um, stations, including mm -hmm. for Tesla. So, and we're seeing more and more electric cars, but again, it was an investment, it's a cost, but there are clients who come to us because they know they're going to be able to recharge their cars. Mm -hmm. So in a way it's an investment. Um, that was important. And the second thing, it's um, we didn't do the investment ourselves. The city did it. We have a brand new tramway uh, coming directly from the airport to a stop, which is 200 meters from the hotel. So we are encouraging people whenever we can to take the tramway instead of taking a taxi. Uh, it's not only a big saving for them because the taxi is about 35 euros and the one-way ticket is 150 euros. So it's a big difference. Um, but also it's ecological and it's a bit less traffic and uh, it's very well uh, adapted and uh, adopted by our guests because they feel not only that they save money, but that also they don't uh, use uh, a thermic vehicle that might pollute uh, the atmosphere. Okay, thanks for that. That's given us quite a few examples of how real savings can uh, can be made. Um, your, your business has been passed down the, down the generations, and you must have seen a lot of changes. We've briefly talked about the pandemic and covered elements of the ecological drive. You talked about digitalization briefly. You talked about the mobile check-in. Um, the back office, digitalization, and the booking engines, et cetera, et cetera. But what else in your business has um, forever changed or forever moved into the digital space, assuming the pandemic has expedited this? Well, many people forget that um, tourism was the first uh, domain, the first field of uh, what we call today e-tourism. Uh, the first uh, reservation systems of airlines, such as System 1 or yeah. Alpha 3 for Air France, go back to 1960. Uh, the GDS, which are a little bit sophisticated, are early 70s. So we really were into uh, computer systems to before the Internet age. The Internet age, of course, uh, hasn't, uh, uh, hasn't lowered the uh, the exposure, on the contrary, it has, big, it has made us more dependent of reservation systems. And you know, the big uh, OTAs such as uh, Expedia and Booking, which are very prominent today. Mm -hmm. But again, we are trying to react to that by uh, giving a fairly well-publicized uh, reservation code on our booking engine which means that if you book with us, uh, you will pay about 20% less than if you book with Booking or with Expedia. Uh, it's a little bit of a difficult balance to take because uh, obviously uh, the two are uh, watching what we do and uh, we'll, they have no uh, judicial mean to force us to give them the same rate. But, you know, uh, on a computer, it's very easy to end up on the last page rather than the first page. So they, have, they put a lot of pressure on that. Um, this was important. 
Otherwise, there are some uh, some important points which have always been there. I was talking a little bit before about uh, being personal and talking to the client. That has always been there. It goes back to the uh, beginning of the hotels uh, in the new age. Uh, I'm sure Mr. Ritz was talking to his clients every once in a while and was communicating with them. Um, in the 60s and up to the last 10 years, you saw a lot of hotels managers who were most of the time on a on spreadsheet and trying to figure out uh, how to save money and how to get more clients. But again, this personalization is important. The second aspect, which again goes back in history, um, is are the technical facilities. Um, in the 19th century, most hotels had a dark room when you had a, a picture film that yes, needed yes, to yes. be developed. Nobody thinks about it today because obviously we all yes. been, uh, <laughs> we don't do that anymore. Yeah. Uh, a lot of hotels also had tennis courts, they had swimming pools. Uh, there still is a very nice hotel on the Côte d'Azur which has uh, swimming instructors for the pool because some of the very rich clients who arrive there don't know how to swim. Mm -hmm. um, so this technical aspect was important. We put the first Wi-Fi in Nice. We probably were one of the first uh, to put in a hotel to put Wi-Fi about 20 years ago. And today, the first thing a client asks for when he checks in is not uh, his room number, is what is the Wi-Fi code, because that's, we cannot live without it. And we see, we see that the consumption of bandwidth is almost doubling every six months because everyone has two or three mm. devices mm. that you connect. So this technical aspect is important. Um, there have always been this sort of uh, new technical things. Uh, 30 or 40 years ago, I don't remember, we were one of the first hotels to put in CNN. Nobody had heard of CNN at that time. Uh, same thing for JSTV, for the Japanese market. Um, you always have to adapt to new yeah. um, techni techniques, to new technology, with sometimes a little bit of difficulty in an old hotel uh, because sometimes the new technology requires a lot of wiring and it's not always feasible. Uh, so. Sometimes there are things we just cannot do, mm -hmm. but uh, we're trying to improve things, but still keep, again, a very personal uh, attitude to the clients. And most of our staff has been with us for many, many years and know the clients, yeah. So you, you've pretty much always been at the forefront and have adapted quite well. That's what, that's what I can just hear, hear the years of time you spent in that industry coming out in your answers here. So, what is your advice to hoteliers in, in this current climate, in particular the ones that are you know, in small chains? What would you suggest they do going forward? And actually, an interesting one for you, have you, through this crisis, thought about giving up this tradition? Um, no, not really, because again, I believe that's the only way to get to somehow get out of it. You kindly say that we flew through it. Uh, I don't know if we are <laughs> if we are finished with it, and I don't know if there will not be a crash landing. It uh, hopefully <laughs> not, but it can happen. So I think basically in our in our business, like in any business, you really have to go back to the core of your business. The core of our business is to have people sleep, of course. So you need comfortable accommodation. But you also need to have people being taken care of in terms of personal relations. 
We were the first hotel in Nice to open a spa in 2007 uh, because wellness is something that is very important today. Uh, you have to give them a little bit more. We introduced a romantic pack, uh, welcome about 10 years ago, I believe, mm -hmm. which is basically a bottle of champagne and some roses on the bed, and that sells very well. Um, you have to be very close to the client, but not uh, force them to do anything. We have discontinued pension or half pension a long, long time ago. Um, you really have to be open and adapt. And one of the... Uh, digitalization I was talking about is to have a bit better CRM uh, to be able to be more attentive to the client and being able to tell them oh you're coming today it's your birthday so nice happy birthday and this sort of thing which quite frankly we should do but we don't really do it at this time. And is it something you, you will be implementing going forward yes? Uh, we have a bit of difficulty in that, first of all, because our CRM today doesn't know the, I mean, we don't put in the, the birth date, so we would have to start with right. that. Okay. And uh, if I can tell you a story, we used to have a program with a tour operator where we were giving, I think, a bottle of champagne to everyone who was on a honeymoon, which sounded nice except we started seeing that everybody was on a on honeymoon. <laughs> and one day I got a booking for a Mrs. Uh, of 30 years old and a little girl of 10 or 11 years old. So as I have a dirty mind, I sent back the booking saying that uh, in France, it was not allowed for uh, a youngster to be in sexual relations with an older one. I knew I was out of the... Um, of reality but that's the way and so it's it's a bit complicated there are always people who abuse it um i was talking to you about the free garage for electric cars and very often yeah. you have people who say yeah yeah i have an electric car and it turns out that it's not really an electric car you have to be kind to people but you have sometimes to remember that uh, we are <laughs> not all angels i'm sure you are I'm, I'm suspecting your crm system would probably be a bit more subtler than the way you've delivered some of the stuff <laughs> to <potential> clients. Okay. <laughs> okay. yeah indeed, indeed. right um, let's talk directly to your potential visitors to nice france to your clients um the ones that are listening right now, um, what I'm going to do, I'm going to share, if, if I may, your, a link to your website in the episode description oh, when this mm -hmm. goes out to air. You know, when people listen to this, they want to click on that and find out more about it. But this mm -hmm. summer, why should they spend time in one of your hotels? I think basically, and uh, you have to be modest, no one in the world who gets up one morning saying, I'm going to that hotel or this hotel. First of all, you choose the destination. Maybe you choose a country first, you choose the destination. In our case, this is the Côte d'Azur. The Côte d'Azur is a fairly small area mm -hmm. with cities which are called Cannes, Monaco, Antibes, Nice, etc. So I think it's a long process. I don't think there is anyone in the world saying, uh, I'm going to go to the Splendid Hotel in Nice. Uh, they, they want to come to Nice and hopefully they will choose us. But you have to be realistic. The first uh, motivation is to go to one place. If one of your many boyfriends tell you he's taking you on the weekend, he's not going to take you to tell you I'm taking you to this hotel. It's going to tell you I'm taking you to New York, to Tokyo, to Paris, to yeah. Rome, to Venice. Um, so you, we have to work very closely with the tourist office, with the regional tourist boards. Uh, they are political uh, institutions, so sometimes they are a little bit difficult to handle because uh, their prime concern is to please their mayors or their president. 
but still that's what we need. We need this uh, destination appeal. So obviously people come to the Côte d'Azur. I've come for the Côte d'Azur for many years. Uh, originally the British came here because of the climate in, in winter and they thought that the um, climate will cure their tuberculosis, which was a major medical mistake because uh, if you have tuberculosis, it's not good to be at sea level. It's better to be at uh, three, seven or 800 meters high. Um, you, the beach, of course, is still a major as aspect of the Côte d'Azur, uh, even though, especially in Nice, we have pebbles and a lot of people don't like pebbles, but um, <laughs> you, can live with, you can live with them. Um, they come for the museum. We have an enormous amount of museums of every category from pre-historical uh, art to modern art and a lot of 19th century. They come for a lot of monuments. We, we have a Russian cathedral in Nice, which is quite exceptional. We have quite a lot of things. There's a very strong British influence. We have a, mm -hmm. the Holy Trinity Church in Nice, which was built uh, by Messiah in the 19th century. There are a lot of traces of history, both British, mm -hmm. Russian, and American also a little bit. Nothing much in Chinese or Japanese, but uh, maybe it will come. So there is all this aspect. Obviously, there are a lot of countries around the Mediterranean, and some of them are much cheaper than France is because of local labor laws. So we are in competition with them, and we have quite a number of events. Uh, there is a nice, uh, jazz festival in Nice in July. There is one in Antibes, which is not very far from that. But the somehow new motivation that came out about five, ten years ago is sport. Uh, no, few people think the thought of the Côte d'Azur as a place you could do sport in. Um, we started the Nice to Cannes Marathon uh, 10 years ago, no, 12 years ago now, uh, which is very popular. It's in November. It brings about 15,000 people. So it's a, it's a good opportunity. Most of them are locals, of course, but there are people coming from uh, a lot of parts of the world. Last mm -hmm. year, it had to be cancelled, unfortunately. Um, we have a lot of cyclists also. Uh, the Tour de France started from Nice last year, right. and we have a lot of uh, people who come to cycle. The advantage for cyclists on the Côte d'Azur is that if you're not very good, like I am, you stay on sea level. If you are half good, you can uh, go to the hills, and if you're really very good, you can go up in the mountains. And um, so that's an important aspect. And we also, you can also go skiing. We've got some nice ski resorts about okay. less than two hours drive from Nice. It's not as widely known, but that's part of it. But sport is really getting something important. Uh, it's important in terms of uh, business revenues. Mm -hmm. uh, I was mentioning the marathon in November. November is normally a very weak season. For the weekend of the marathon, we are almost full. So that's a good business in, uh, in November. Mm -hmm. And also it's important in terms of image. The Col d'Azur is an old destination. We were one of the first tourist destinations in the world. Now there are many, 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 many. Mm -hmm. So we have sometimes the image of a, being a destination for old people. Um, and of course, when you talk about sportive events, you can be old and participate in sport, but sport is generally um, practiced by younger people. So sport is a big uh, is a big motivation today in travel. 
I mean, uh, we have an event called the Haute Route, which is from Nice to Geneva, from Geneva from Nice, with all the uh, trucks to bring your suitcases, etc. Mm -hmm. And these people pay a fortune to paddle and suffer going up the hills, but uh, that's good for them. Mm -hmm. And we will have in 2023 the World Rugby Cup, which is uh, we will have a few games in Nice, where there will be some in Marseille. And we're almost full already for that period because rugby is a very popular game in the UK, of course, but also in Ireland, in uh, Italy and in Australia, New Zealand and South Africa, as you know. And these people are not going to come for uh, just a weekend. They're going to use the opportunity to go around France and visit the place and have a few beers and a few bottles of wine, probably. <laughs> so everything's ready. Everything's ready. We just need... Most of the restrictions lifted and remain lifted. Yeah, the, the restrictions are the main uh, problems. Not everything's ob, really uh, difficult obstacle, today. The obstacles. And uh, unfortunately, France is not very um, proactive in that matter. You have certainly seen that uh, Greece, about two months ago, was starting to say from the 15th of May you can come into Greece. Yeah. Uh, Spain just announced that if you were vaccinated, you could go into Spain uh, from the 9th or 6th of June. I don't remember the date. Uh, France is not very good in uh, being very proactive and being very clear what, about what is allowed, what is not allowed. Our president gave in a, an interview to NBC or CBS about a month ago in the US saying that Americans who are vaccinated could come in France in June, but um, it was a nice statement, but uh, nobody knows whether it's true or not. And uh, we have a little bit of difficulty it still stands. carrying on on that. And, um, it's a bit complicated, yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's the main difficulty. Yeah. We see, we feel there is an enormous potential. People want to travel. They're ready to travel. It's lack of clarity, basically. It's a lack of clarity. Um, and, and yeah, most of them have money on top of it because during uh, yeah, the, the confinement, during the curfews, uh, well, you couldn't go out to restaurants. You couldn't do a lot of things. Yes. So you just save the money. So we just need a little bit more uh, clarity on what is allowed, a little bit of advance notice uh, what can be done. Uh, from the 9th of June, uh, the restaurant can open inside. For us, it's not a problem because the weather is nice. And I, yes. anyway, even if you can eat outside, you will want to eat on the terrace. Uh, but the, the museum have reopened. Uh, there will be a bit more flexibility from the 9th of June and normally from the 30th of June, everything will be back to normality. We probably will still need to wear a mask, but I mean, that's yeah. something we got used to now. It's not too annoying. Um, we still probably want to, to be um, cautious. So, you know, I, I do, I wish you um, luck going forward. It's been a crazy time for- It has been, yeah. A, a crazy year that no one will forget. Michelle Chan. Many thanks for your time and insight. Next time you come around, we can have a drink together. Yes, indeed. I would love that. Okay. Okay. You, you take care. Have a good weekend. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Okay, Bye-bye. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you, helping to make the show possible please join me next time where i'll be featuring more executive decision makers and heads of multinationals heads talk podcast with your host elaine pringle schwitter